All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Browns Note Podcast. This will be episode number 33 for 2015 Week 10 in the NFL. And this is Ryan Burns coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California. I'll be joined momentarily by our friend Brendan Leister from out there in Ohio. A couple of thoughts. We find ourselves, of course, in, uh, in familiar territory, we'll call it, uh, unfortunately familiar territory. Brown's coming off yet another loss at 2-7. Uh, and seven. Quarterback questions galore, apparently very few answers. Uh, defensive problems. I mean, look, it's it's not a lot better than it's been any other previous year. Let's be real about it. I'm looking at just some basic numbers. They've scored 177 points, which is 19.7 a game, which is 29th out of the 32 teams in the league. They've allowed 247 points, which is 27.4 per game, which is 26th out of the 32 in the league. They have a point differential of negative 70, which is minus 0.78 per game, 29th in the league. All of this is to say that there's really not a lot of argument that they're playing well. So as we sit here and the words fire everybody start circulating, not start, continue to circulate airwaves and uh, Twitter feeds and such, I thought it would be at least important to acknowledge at the outset that those people who think that's a good idea have a lot of ammunition for that opinion. So um, as we sit here looking at what happened in Cincinnati and as we think about going out to Pittsburgh Um, or excuse me, going to play against Pittsburgh uh, prior to the bye coming up, and you start to think, well, we're in another lost season, and I think some of us always sort of expected it to be one of those, but assuming you didn't for a moment, uh, this has to have been somewhat of a disappointing start and uh, probably will continue to be for various reasons throughout the season. And so rather than just do you know, the, the everybody get in a box and start bitching about it routine, which is sometimes therapeutic but not particularly useful in my view. I thought we'd just keep talking football and eventually get around to some more philosophical issues sort of as the season goes on. I mean, look, the, much like the Browns will have to view the season as changing from one in which they're attempting to win games to one in which they're figuring out who they're going to be going forward, uh, I think we can sort of mold the podcast to that and go from – specific breakdowns of every little piece of on-field action to, okay, what what can we glean from what we see on the field about where we're going in the future? Because frankly, I'm not going to care a lot about what the scores of some of these games are if uh, if they're out there starting Manziel or if they're getting a lot of looks at young guys or whatever it's going to be. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to watch sort of how the end of the season tells us, <coughs> excuse me, tells us about about where they're going. So anyway, that's that's what I've got on that. Mr. Leister from the heart of Ohio. Please follow him at Brendan Leister. And while you're there, hit me up at FTBL Sickness. How's it going, man? In spite of spending a few hours each week watching um, whatever is going on with the Browns, I'm doing pretty good. How about you, man? <laughs> I, I appreciate that diplomatic characterization because it sure doesn't seem like football a lot of times. How about... How about some general impressions first from that Bengals game? Look, I thought they competed reasonably well. I didn't expect, frankly, Johnny to play even as well as he did, though I think in the, in the interim we've, we've been able to determine that, look, he's a really young quarterback who has a long way to go if he's ever going to be remotely successful in this league. And so I think the timetable for me, what, the big takeaways for me were twofold out of this game. Number one, the timetable on Johnny is much longer than any of us would want it to be. And so the answer to the question that everybody's going to be asking is, yes, 
they're in the market for a quarterback come this offseason. So everybody needs to just price that into the discussion, I think, um, which isn't to say that Johnny couldn't improve at a massive rate by the end of the season, either with or without the snaps. It's not to say that, um, that he will. Uh, you know, either way, in my opinion, I think they're going to be looking, and I think they're going to be looking with the idea that they still need a starting quarterback. So um, th- that's big takeaway number one, even though I thought he played pretty well, and, and I guess they're both Johnny-related for me. He played well enough for me, and this is a switch from where I've been leading up to this. You know, I think he played enough to let me know that he can at least hold it down such that I think the game reps now become valuable for him. I think it helps him to see, for example, those balls that Stephen White, if you haven't seen the Stephen White piece on SB Nation about Johnny, please go read it. And if you saw the headline or you saw a couple of shots and decided you didn't want to read it, in my opinion, you're doing yourself a great disservice, but that's your issue, not mine. Um, There were a lot of things the kid missed that, quite frankly, if you're an NFL quarterback, and, and Pettin said this, and it's not because he hates Manziel, you have to take. You have to take the open, early, in-the-pocket throw if it's there every single time because defenses are trying to put you in a position where you're in third and ten, and that's where they found themselves far too often because of those failures in this game. Is that – I mean, I'm trying to encapsulate it in a sentence, um, but tell me what you saw and kind of what your takeaways were from this game, and if you have any that go beyond Johnny, I'd love to hear those as well. I felt that there were ups and downs with Manziel, but – it was better than it's been in the past. I thought that, you know, the offense moved the ball better than they did against uh, the Titans and against the Jets early in the season. So that was progress. He drove them down the field on that, on that uh, 90, whatever it was, 96 yard. How, how far was that drive? 97 yard touchdown drive, something like that. It was so, a lot. It was enough. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was a long drive. It was the longest touchdown drive of the season. So that's definitely progress. Um, he needs to do a better job of staying patient in the pocket. Uh, at the first sign of pressure, he can't try to run away and scramble around. Uh, he needs to show more consistency in that area. I thought that he was consistent when he threw the ball. He threw the ball in the right spot when he did. It's just the anticipation needs to improve. He needs to improve with knowing where to go with the ball when the ball snapped. Uh, there were a few times where he missed an easy first read that would have gotten the, t- the that would have gotten gotten them yardage, kept the offense on schedule. Um, he needs to just trust what he sees a little bit more. In my opinion, he needs to just throw the ball rather than holding on to it yep. a split second too late. You know, because that's the difference between five yards and maybe fifteen yards in the NFL. You know, if you throw that ball a split second earlier, you can gain a lot more yards after the catch. So. I saw a few opportunities that were missed with uh, Duke Johnson in that kind of situation, for example. And, um, I mean, when he got outside the pocket, I thought he made plays with his legs. He was very accurate on the run, which is what we've always seen from him, running to his left, running to his right. He does a good job of that. Um, another thing is he just he needs to become more comfortable with stepping up in the pocket. Uh, when the rush was coming way upfield, he had a – he has a habit of trying to just sprint out the back end rather than just stepping up in a pocket where there is room to step up. And I think that might improve as time goes on, as he gets reps and games. But I don't think that's anything that he's going to be able to improve in practice just because he doesn't get a lot of first-team reps in practice. And it's definitely not going to improve in the meeting room. That's just an instinct thing. But overall, 
it was more encouraging than his past performances have been, and I think that's that's good. That's progress, and I'm interested to see who starts this weekend against the Steelers. Yeah, well, it sounds like if McCown is healthy enough, they intend to start him. I guess I sort of view that as I don't think he's going to be. Um, I, I've, I, I figure they were going to let him get healthy this week, take the bye next week, and then they'll figure it out from there. I, to me, that makes the most sense. Uh, and, and especially against a Steelers team where, frankly, I don't give them a lot of chance to beat the Steelers anyway. But uh, a couple more thoughts on the game in, against Cincinnati because it still is frustrating how poorly the defense is playing. And we, we can go over it time and again, but we did see, I think, some more of what we've, con- what we've seen all season. And, and the thing we have the biggest question about is I'm really not sure what the heck we're doing on defense in terms of personnel usage. I mean, there were moments where it looked like they had a better idea of what was going on, and there were moments where they're leaving Tyler Eifert wide the hell open. All de- Three touchdowns to the tight end you know is their more, most dangerous red zone target. I mean, I just to me that's the kind of thing where it's basically inexcusable. I mean, there, there's no way around watching the most threatening player on the other team be wide open in the end zone. That just can't happen. And, I mean, it doesn't just happen to the Browns. You saw it the other night where uh, the Steelers, or not the Steelers, but whoever it was that was playing San Diego left uh, left Woodhead Chicago. open. Yeah, they left Woodhead open. The Bears did for 20 yards in the end zone. And you're sitting there watching. Go, everybody in the stadium knows where the ball's going. It's going to Danny Woodhead in that situation. Just like against Cincinnati, if you've watched any Cincinnati film all season, in a big moment in the red zone, the ball's going to Tyler Eifert. I mean, it's not going to A.J. Green. And so the idea that that guy could get open enough to catch three touchdowns drives me up a freaking wall. And I'm wondering on defense, I mean, it's, it's just not getting better. Total yards, 371 to 213. And granted, part of that is the offense isn't moving the ball. But at the end of the day, the defense is not doing the job. And that continues to me to be by far the biggest disappointment of the season. I'm wondering, I mean, I think it's fair. Most of us are talking about Jim O'Neill as maybe being the anchor that's going to get uh, that's going to get Pettin fired sooner than he might otherwise be if he continues to stubbornly allow O'Neill to just kind of bumble around out there as a defensive coordinator, which to me is what it feels like. And granted, this is a non-expert opinion. I can't break down defensive film with Jim O'Neill. I don't know any of that stuff. I mean, but I've got a pretty good idea of what good football looks like in terms of result. And I've got a pretty good idea when you watch it in the stadium of what coordinated defense looks like with things moving uh, in, in coordination. That's why they call it that. And having seen them play in the stadium this year, I didn't see a lot of that. And so when I put all this together and I think to myself, well, you're a defensive minded head coach who is supposed to have fixed this by now. And I think I'm not alone in that, in that thought. Um, it, it, it gets bleak for Petten. So from a defensive standpoint, uh, you know, what do you take out of that game? And if it's you, Brendan, since I know you have a better football mind than I, what are what are some of the things you're looking to tweak or see over the next few weeks, um, you know, before the season becomes, I mean, it's already over from a competitiveness standpoint, but I mean, before you get into those week 15, 16, 17 battles where you might only have half your team anyway, because people start going on IR, you start protecting people and all that. So what are you looking to get from your defense out of the remainder of this season? I think you just want to see them continuing continuing to play hard and competing. That's one big thing, I think, across the board. I mean, I don't think that we've seen maximum effort at times when the team has gone down. 
Um, I, I mean, it's been apparent, at least in my opinion, from some of the quotes by the players, like Paul Kruger's quote, for example, right around the trade deadline when he said he wouldn't be surprised if he would get traded because of the way he's been used this year. Um, it seems like some of the players aren't really happy with their roles. That leads to players not playing hard. So I'll be looking to see if players are still playing hard. Uh, another thing is we saw more of Justin Gilbert against the Bengals on defense. Uh, he played, I think, 21 or 22 snaps. It was mostly in the second quarter. And I'm interested to see more of him. I, I didn't think he looked bad. Um, he did almost miss that one tackle that would have gone for big yardage. And then there was that missed pass interference call in the end zone. But, I mean, I think that he'll just keep getting better, hopefully, with game reps. I mean, that's the hope with a young player like that with a lot of potential. Um, I'd like to see more of Pierre Desir. I think as the season goes on, you have to probably play guys like Tremont Williams a little less, Randy Starks, uh, you know, just the older guys that aren't really going to get any better, per se. Right. Um, I mean, at some point, guys in there. yeah, at some point it does make sense to sacrifice effectiveness for development, right? I mean, isn't that basically yeah. the balancing act that you're working on? Yeah, down the road. Um, I don't think we're quite at that point yet, but if they really get hammered against the Steelers or if they lose this game, you know, they'll be 2-8. and eight. It's really tough to have much confidence in the rest of the season from there, so I could see playing the young guys more. I think Ibrahim Campbell, the guy that really stands out oh, yeah. as needing more reps because he's really shown me some good things so far, and I think he has a chance to be a really good player. So I think from here on out, he needs to be in a safety rotation with Gibson and Whitner whenever Whitner gets healthy. And they also, I think they should consider using some three safety um, defenses. You know, they played a lot of yeah. uh, quarter coverage last year, quarter packages with uh, three safeties on the field. They had Leonard last year. Remember, and he, I thought he played great. I think they need to do that with Campbell this year. So from here on out, I'd like to see more of Ibrahim Campbell. Man, a Jim Leonard reference. thats uh, It feels like ancient history for the moment because it's so long, you know, the, the way this season has yeah. gone, it's starting to lengthen out in front of us. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm disappointed, to say the least, in the defense. It's just been, it's been ineffective. I mean, there's really no way around it, and there's not a lot of reason, in my view, to be particularly confident about a team, you know, playing a game at Pittsburgh where Pittsburgh's been able to muddle through their, their quarterback issue and still be at 5-4. and four. They're 3-2 and two at home, and they've beaten, uh, you know, They've beaten some decent teams, and, and you're, you're thinking, how are the Browns going to compete with these guys? And even without Le'Veon Bell, even without Ben Roethlisberger, I don't know that I have an answer because there have been other guys that have created all sorts of problems for the Browns' defense, and we're still going to have to deal with Antonio Brown, Martavis Bryant, Marcus Wheaton, guys that are better than some of the receivers that have beaten us in other games. So, again, I go into this game thinking, man, the Steelers games, the Cincinnati Bengals games, to me this really does highlight – the need on offense for some playmakers. These Because you see, I mean, there's just no way around the fact. I, I appreciate the argument that the wide receiver is down the line of what's important, and I agree with it, frankly. But I also look at the teams that are really good, and unless you're a team with Tom Brady, you had damn well better have some guys that can make something out of nothing with the football in their hands. And the Steelers have a bunch of them. And that's why they're able, in my opinion, 
to muddle through these periods without Ben Roethlisberger. That's how they're winning with Landry Jones pulling the trigger. It's because when he pulls the trigger, it's getting the ball to Antonio Brown. It's getting the ball to Martavis Bryant, who can make an alien move on three tacklers and get into the end zone from 12 yards out like he did this past weekend. And so to me, that's what scares me in these games. It's not what used to scare me about the Steelers, which was their defense is going to dismantle us. No, now it is they're going to throw all over us. They've got all these guys outside that can run with the football once they get it, and all they have to do is throw a little screen to get it to them. What do you, you know, when you watch a team like the Steelers dismantle a team like the Browns for the 10th straight time, um, does, obviously we all get frustrated by that. But to me, am I accurately pinpointing sort of at the moment what separates the Steelers from the Browns, or is it still just that? You know, I, you know what, I should go back on this, because ultimately what separates them is culture, and to me that has a lot to do with stability and ownership and all that. Um, but on the field, the bottom line is, you know, even crappy teams occasionally get wins, and it seems like the Browns have never been able to consistently do that against the Steelers. And right now it's because they can just outscore you, and, and, and that's what I'm worried about coming into this weekend. It's not can the Browns hold off the interior rush. It's not... Can they keep somebody from coming off the edge and sacking their quarterback? My fear this time is we can't do anything to stop them on the other side of the ball. Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, the organizational culture is the big thing that separates the two organizations. Um, The Steelers just have that consistency from top to bottom throughout the years. I think they look like a, a team to me that everybody's on the same page right now. Browns, everybody knows that's not the case. Management wants one thing, coaching staff does another. Who knows what ownership wants? I have no idea. Um, but, yeah, on the field, the Steelers have a lot of scary playmakers. Uh, you didn't even mention D'Angelo Williams, I don't think, and he's played excellent this year. Yeah. He looks like a completely he's different runner. The backup runner who's better than most of the starters in the league. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So he just looks like a completely different player this year. Um, I don't really have a lot of faith in Landry Jones to be honest, but it seems that as, like earlier in the season when he played, it seemed like he showed some things, and I'm guessing that he's just been taught the offense well, and he's probably able to execute it well enough to get those playmakers the ball in space and get them the ball on time. So that's all you really need from your backup quarterback if he's going to just spot start a couple times. Uh, so I'll be interested to see how that goes. I don't have any faith in the Browns' defense being able to stop them unless they can for once, just find a way to confuse the quarterback, get pressure on the quarterback, and create some turnovers. Uh, other than that, I don't have a lot of confidence in, in the game. Uh, I think if McCown plays, I'll have a lot more confidence because I feel like he can. Oh, that's a much, more even, that's a much more even game at that juncture, I agree. You know, yes. even as, as limited as McCown is, the difference between the two, I mean, I hate to keep harping on it, but you go back to the Stephen White article and it's like, okay, I start to understand now, even, I, I, like, honestly, I don't know how you could read that and not at least understand why Petten wants to start Josh McCown. I mean, he's trying to win football games and McCown at least is going to get those few obvious first read throws out and keep things moving downfield. Now, a lot of people's response to that article has been, well, why aren't they winning more games with McCown? Well, pay attention. They've scored plenty of points. In most games, they've been in it, and they're giving up 400 yards a game. They're not able to stop anybody in the fourth quarter when it matters. They're Granted, McCown's not playing like Tom Brady. Nobody's here to tell you that. But the difference between McCown and Manziel should be infinitely obvious by now. I mean, so it makes – it's like 
you know, there were a couple of tweets this week that I thought encapsulated it. Uh, Ray Summerlin, who's, who does a, a great fantasy podcast with with um, with Rumford Johnny, Ray had a tweet that was, uh, it makes sense for, you know, Mike Pettin to start Josh McCown. It makes sense for the Browns to start Johnny Manziel. And that's true. Um, and the problem goes back to, I think, what you noted, which is, I have no idea what the owner wants. And to be honest with you, I don't think the owner has any real idea what the owner wants. He just wants to win, and he wants to sell tickets, and he wants to be excited, and he wants to have a good time. And he doesn't have the first idea how to put it together and, and get it done. That's, that's my diagnosis of the overall situation. And just as a little tease, we'll come back to this next week during the bye. Um, I'm working on some things, trying to get a few voices so we can all sort of have a discussion about, uh, uh, about the state of the Browns and the philosophy and whether there is one and all that. So look forward to that joy fest next week. But for now, let's, let's get back to the Steelers. Um, you know, I, I think you're right. I think, number one, the Steelers do present some opportunities for the Browns' offense to get something done, regardless of who the quarterback is. Um, they've given up plenty, plenty of yards both on the ground and through the air. They're, uh, they've, been, they've been opportunistic at times, and they've been, they've been more of a you know, bend-but-don't-break kind of defense than they are the old-school Steelers attacking, dismantling defense. And I think part of that is just the NFL makes it really tough for those defenses to exist these days. And part of it is they don't have quite the personnel they once did. And so on offense, what I'd like to see, I mean, you could see it in some of those, uh, in some of those clips that, that Stephen White had. There are some things designed for the Browns to get things done early in progressions and early in the game where it's, it seems like he's pretty good at diagnosing what the other team's going to try to do and how to sort of break it down without putting his offense in a lot of risk early in the games. That's what I've seen so far. He's, he's, he's good at scripting that first set of plays and then using it to sort of not only hopefully score some points, but also diagnose what it is the defense is trying to do to him. And uh, that, that's been, to me, the takeaway. And I, I would expect that assuming the quarterback play is sufficient, they'll be able to move the ball pretty effectively against the Steelers. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I mean, the Steelers' defense doesn't present a lot of difficult matchups, in my opinion. I think they have some good players up front. You know, Cam Hayward's a good player. Stephon Tuitt is a good player. I'm not sure about what players on their defense are hurt right now, what ones are healthy. I I did watch their game this past week, but uh, I didn't pay that close attention. I just think that the Steelers will give up some points to the Browns regardless. But it'll be hard for the Browns to overcome Steelers' offense uh, just with all those playmakers and the Browns' defense just being so poor. I mean, we didn't really get into it a whole lot, but I have a lot of issues with the way that personnel has been used, especially lately, even in the Bengals game. Well, that's what I I'm mean, saying. Just, tell, tell me a couple of them because, I, you know, look, that's why we're here, number one. But number two, I think that's the biggest mistake the team has made all season. So, you know, we've talked – uh, you mentioned Kruger obviously went out and, and said something publicly about it, but we've talked all season, not just you and me, but when, when Pete's been on and when I've just talked with other Browns fans, what the hell is going on with Mingo, with Kruger, with some of the way they rotate the defensive line? I, I just most of it. I, I don't get it. And so tell me the ones that stick out to you most. Yeah, well, one prime example that stood out was just it was a third down and they dropped Armani Bryant into a into zone coverage. See, never, in the not same once, zone. not once ever would I do that. Exactly. I wouldn't either. You know, he's the starting rush end, and his position is called a rush. He's supposed to rush the quarterback, but instead they run a zone blitz, 
They drop him in coverage. He's covering Marvin Jones in space, and Andy Dalton knows exactly where to go with the ball. As soon as he sees it, throws it, hits the first down, and many more yards. Um, another example, uh, you know, the Gilbert and Mingo. I mean, Mingo was kind of a similar example or a similar case to Gilbert in this game also. You know, I said that Gilbert played around 20 plays in the second quarter and then didn't play much after, or aside from that. I think Mingo, same thing happened to him. I think he played 20 or so snaps in the second quarter, and yeah. then they didn't really play him a whole lot other than that. So that just makes no sense to me. You know, he's the best Sam linebacker on the roster. I was just watching some of my vines that I posted last year, some of my analysis of the coaching tape from last year, and, you know, Mingo did a good job in the run game last year. I think he would really help this team if they would just if they would have played him from the get go. I don't know what the plan has been. You know, if Scott Solomon's injury really hurt the team that much, if if Mingo's injury and training camp really derailed their plans that much, but I just don't really understand the plan with him. Uh another example was, you know, on that reverse, they probably saw or I I have a feeling I didn't study this closely, but Xavier Cooper was in a defensive end. He was in a five technique on that play where they called the reverse. And I personally don't like Cooper that much at that position. I think he's better just as a three technique primarily. But I guess on a rundown, you're going to have to put him at three technique or five technique. And they had him at five on the play. And to me, it looked like he probably rotated in on one of the plays before that. And I'm guessing the Bengals noticed that. So they called a reverse to his side knowing he wouldn't stay at home. So he went way too far inside. He didn't get yeah. home yeah. and contain, and and the you know the end around got outside and up for a touchdown. So I just I really have issues with the way that they've used some of these guys, especially in the front seven. You know, Kruger wasn't rushing as much as you know he should be, in my opinion. I still think he needs to rush more. He he needs to play rush end more. I think Armani Bryant's best. Uh, the way that he can be used best is as just kind of uh, a chess piece that can be moved around the defensive front, almost like the way that um, almost like the way that the Ravens used. What was the linebacker's name that went from the Ravens to the Bears this past year in free agency? Um, what was it? He had a ton of production the past few years. Yeah, um, um, it's McPhee, right? Yeah, exactly, McPhee. I think that Bryant should be used kind of like that. I think he should stand up sometimes and rush off the end. He should be moved inside on the interior more. I just think that he should not be in the same spot all the time. And I just think that they're having trouble with deciding how to use certain guys and mixing and matching. And and, in, and my last complaint is just I think Nate Orchard has played way too much. I am not impressed with him to this point, and I – I'm not confident in his future either. So I hope that he shows me something in the near future, but I, I just don't have a lot of confidence. And I don't see any reason that on a team where players are supposedly earning their way onto the field, I don't see how he can play over a guy like Mingo. Yeah, I, I don't either. And uh, and I like Tortured, but that that's beside the point. He's not playing well enough to be playing as much as he is, in my opinion. So it does sort of call into question some of the consistency in terms of what what they're going to do from a coaching standpoint. And i I got to say, I just don't like the stuff that you're generally hearing from around the defense in terms of guys coming out saying, I don't know what the hell's going on with how I'm being used. And then you see that there are complaints sort of about, um, you know, a, a coaching staff letting personal things get in the way of game 
usage. And so I, I start to worry about that kind of crap and how much of it is true or not is sort of beside the point to me. The fact of the matter is the work's not getting done and it's not getting done in such a way that allows us to wonder why is this guy not playing? You know? And so, it, I mean, if the question is begged, it ought to be answered. And so far it hasn't been answered. Um, but that's where we sit as we head into Pittsburgh for this game. Two and seven on the road against a five and four Steelers team that I think most of us think is a lot better. Um, good luck, Brendan. Convince me they're going to win and give me a score. Uh, let's say Johnny Manziel scores three touchdowns and the defense creates a few turnovers, gets some pressure on Landry Jones, uh, gets a couple picks. Justin Gilbert plays a little more, has a few pass breakups. Uh, wow, now we're getting detailed. Yeah, makes the fan base a little more confident in his development. I'm going to say, how about 21 to 17 Browns? I like it. Mr. Sunshine there, putting a happy face on the, on the state of the Browns. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk more about that in, in depth next week. I, you know, I look at it, the only way the Browns win this game is it's, if it's one of those AFC North sloppy, low-scoring slugfests. So I'll hope for that. How about 20 to 17? Not 21. I'm not giving them three touchdowns. 20 to 17. And uh, Browns victory? That would be so nice. That's it for this week, everybody. This is episode 33 of the Browns Note Podcast, 2015, week 10. Browns about to go into their final pre-buy game. We'll be back next week with uh, hopefully a few folks in here to talk State of the Browns. Until then, please follow Brendan Leister at Brendan Leister. You can follow me at FTBL Sickness. Thanks for listening, everybody. And everybody. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Go Browns. Go Browns.